one of my greatest teachers has been my disability. My disability has taken me to lots of dark places, but it's also helped me learn how to navigate those dark places. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that is a skill, right? Like it's a skill to understand and be able to navigate dark parts of our lives. Content warnings for this episode include religion, medical trauma, catheter and needle use, ableism, and being misgendered. Jennifer would like to acknowledge the Indigenous peoples and unceded lands that the producers, hosts, and guests lived and have dwelt upon. Today we honor the Coast Salish, Mohawk, Algonquin, and Inishinawabawaki, Plains Cree, Blackfoot, Soto, Nakota Sioux, uh, Metis, Inuit, and quite a few others in this (laughs) gathering place. We honor the elders, the human, plant, and animal ancestors of these lands, and celebrate the living descendants of these peoples. May all beings tend these lands for the goodness of the next seven generations and beyond. Meowdy folks, welcome to Genderful, a talk show interviewing gender diverse people about their special interests. Hi, I'm Gendermaster, and my pronouns are they, them. Hi, I'm Miranda Katita, and my pronouns are she, her. The focus of our show is to interview trans, non-binary, agender, two-spirit, and gender-diverse people regarding their special interests, passion projects, and resources for the gender-diverse community. We want our audience to know that we hold multiple diverse identities and bring these lenses to the show with our passion for telling our stories. I identify as non-binary, transmasculine, polyamorous, ADHD, autistic, and disabled, chronic pain, and mobility issues. I also am white and reside in the United States. I identify as trans-feminine, neurodivergent, queer, and a person of color residing in Canada. We invite you to remember that we are whole people with robust lives, friendships, challenges, and successes. We love and are loved, and we are delighted to share these stories with you. As always, we kindly remind our listeners that no person is a monolith of their identities. Your identities can change over time and are valid every step of the way. And if you think you're gender diverse, you are gender diverse. There's no social or medical prerequisite to be included in the community. Welcome to Genderful Podcast, a show interviewing gender diverse people about their special interests. This week, our guest, Alara, they them, is chatting with us about magic, ministry, and disability. Juice happened to see a YouTube video of them hosting a Unitarian Universalist service for Pride Month and decided to invite them for Genderful. Welcome to Genderful, Alara. Hope you're having thank a good you so time. Much. Yeah. Yeah, I'm thank so- you so much. I'm really excited to be here. Well, and what's fun is the, the live recording of this is the day before Samhain. That's ridiculously epic. It makes me really happy, actually. Samhain is like one of my favorite holidays. Yeah. Now, as, a, as someone who knows nothing about this stuff, can you maybe explain what that is? Sure. So Samhain is a point on the pagan wheel of the year there are eight points on the pagan wheel of the year and it is the roots of halloween it's the time of the year when the veil is the thinnest between the living and the dead so there's ritual involved and a lot of the traditions that we see with halloween have roots in Samhain. and so in the northern hemisphere it's Samhain. And in the Southern Hemisphere, it's Beltane. So in the Northern Hemisphere, it's the death ritual. It's honoring our beloved dead. And in the Southern Hemisphere, it's the fertility and life ritual, which is about, you know, making babies exist, et cetera. (laughs) 
the circle of life and death is honored in the pagan wheel of the year, which is fun. Yep, exactly. That's that's cool. I did not know that. Uh, Actually, like, despite like Halloween being like one of the few holidays I do like, I actually don't really know that much about the history of it. And it's it's a very I feel like it's a very like North American phenomenon, uh, because as far as I know, it's not really that. I mean, up until like, you know, the last like couple decades, it hasn't really been a thing in like, say, Europe or Asia Mm -hmm. or other parts of the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, kind of other cultures have like their own kind of adjacent holidays. So I know in Mexico, they have La Dio de la Muerte, uh, which is very Halloween adjacent in my in my opinion. Uh, maybe someone who is of that cultural heritage may uh, like to differ on that, but uh, I think the costumes are wonderful. So. <laughs> it's very um, Alara, what are some things that you can trace back to your youth that indicated you might be gender diverse one day? Oh my goodness, there are so many. So I actually started using the word gender fluid when I was about maybe like 15 or 16. I was really lucky because I went to a public art school here in Amiskwishi Waskahican, colonially known as Edmonton. And so we were uh, within the city, not respectfully known as the gay school here. And, but I was grateful for that. And it was true in a very good way because there was a lot more room to explore gender and orientation than there often was in other schools that I had friends who went to. Um, So yeah, so I started using the term gender fluid in like late junior high, early high school, because it was the only word that wasn't male or female that I knew at the time. And I would say like early childhood indicators were probably more expression-based. I really found feminine defined clothing uncomfortable even as an early child and like Halloween I would dress up as like superheroes and I remember one Halloween my one of my favorite Halloween costumes my dad made me a epic Batman belt for a homemade Batman costume (laughs) yeah so so really it was a lot I think the early early indicators were primarily in expression and and interests as well i very rarely found common ground in interests with my female friends uh loved dinosaurs loved superheroes and my parents were both artists so they were open at the time and i know like these things aren't gendered but my parents thought they were gendered right course yeah yeah i mean i feel like liking superheroes and dinosaurs is a very normal and wholesome thing for any child to do (laughs) i completely completely agree (laughs) Uh, i did want to circle back so you said you went to the quote-unquote gay high school so um we were talking in the pre-show um i'm also from edmonton like oh yeah that's that's so that's that's where we're growing up so i actually don't remember what the, the gay high school was but high school i did go to our mascot was a lion named gaylord and oh my loved goodness him. that's amazing my <laughs> i went to victoria school for the performing and visual arts hmm. the fact that it was the art school is kind of what gave it that 
derogatory mm, yeah, within the rest of the city, right? Because of course you can't love the arts if you're not like well, it's just, it's just something people that's... don't like the arts clearly for, for whatever reason people who are gender diverse or sexually diverse they kind of gravitate towards the arts uh that's not the path that i took i very much kind of went into the sciences um and i didn't really discover that i was queer until much later in life uh but i think if like if stuff like drama was like more accepted if it wasn't seen as like quote-unquote gay or infeminate or whatever um i think I would have taken an interest in it because like I very much developed uh, an interest in the arts um, in, in later in life. And I think I, my life would have taken a very different turn had I actually signed up for drama school in uh, a drama class in high school. So, uh, yeah. but speaking of how things can take different turns, uh, we all know that like your relationship to gender isn't, it's not a linear path. It's, you know, yeah. you're not going from point A to point B to point C. So how would you yeah. say that your relationship to gender has evolved over time? Um, I would say, so one huge turning point for me was in, say, like, maybe six or seven years ago, and I was doing youth work with uh, the Unitarian Church that I was working, Unitarian Universalist Church that I was working with at the time, and I was basically researching alternative gender terms so that I could be supportive of the youth coming into our program. Mm -hmm. And I had never heard the term non-binary before. And as a young adult, like as soon as I read about it, it was like, oh my goodness, like this is like, it just clicked so quickly. Um, and it took me a while to start using they, them pronouns because social pressure and being in a mostly elderly congregation made things challenging. Um, but then I realized that it was the only social response, socially responsible thing to do was to use the pronouns that actually matched who I was. Mm -hmm. um, and prior to that, I would say that my relationship with gender, I was interested in Jungian psychology from a very early age. And a big piece of Jungian psychology is like working on balancing the masculine and the feminine side of ourselves. So like, even though it's a very, I would say it is a very gendered form of psychological analysis, the work that I did within it kind of like paved the path to understanding my like more balanced version of who I am as a non-binary person. Um, so that's interesting. I find that interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I think now a big piece of my gender journey is really like, I get, I get misgendered as female most of the time because I was born in a female sexed body and don't have any desire to change my physical body. My gender is very much an, an internal piece for me. And so I get misgendered as female a lot, which has created an interesting relationship with that internal feminine aspect of myself because I find myself like gravitating towards more masculine expression, not because I don't honor my feminine, but because... I don't get misgendered as masculine, if that yeah. makes any sense. No, it does so, make like, sense. 
I yeah, mean, like, so it, it creates a weird dynamic mm, internally sometimes. Yeah, because I mean, I mean, ge- part of gender is performative. Um, totally. So, like, we we we're all performing roles. We're all um, there's there's an aspect of gender that's is it's not how necessarily how you see yourself, but it's how you want to be seen by others. Yeah, right? exactly. So, I mean, I can I can totally understand where you're coming from there, where you just like you're not wanting to be gendered as something that you're not even though like it's not really like coming from like your internal um sense of expression but just like hey mm-hmm. like i want i want people to see me the way i i see myself so that involves exactly. you know having to play that that expression game a little bit yeah exactly mm-hmm. but yeah i have found it interesting because i've definitely found like almost needing to compensate internally with my like with my feminine self because if i don't express more masculine i get misgendered all the time so yeah it's really it's a very interesting dynamic yeah and like i can kind of speak to that like to my own experience as Mm -hmm. a trans femme is like a lot of people who are trans femme like kind of like over feminize early on in their transition they go like really really hyper femme in their in their in their presentation because I mean, they want to be perceived as as women, right? Yeah, exactly. So that I mean, that makes that makes absolute perfect sense. Yeah. But uh, for anyone listening, uh, you know, you don't have to do these things. This is just like definitely not. If you're comfortable in the clothes that you're wearing, it, that's that's all that matters. So <laughs> you're yeah, absolutely no. valid regardless of how you present yourself. A hundred percent. This is like one hundred percent just my own personal experience. Of course, right? yeah. Like everybody's experience is going to be different, and they're all valid. Well, I hear, I hear what you're saying, and I think of your friends who are trans men who did the same sort of hyper masculinized in the beginning, and yeah. and now I have friends who are you know five, ten, or more years on HRT and full beards. And now they're like, oh, yeah, I'm experimenting with wearing skirts and dresses again. Totally. <laughs> like, with my beard, with my, you know, top surgery is all healed up, like, you know. And it's it's just really fun to watch those beloveds. Like, sometimes, like, some of their trajectories has been, like, going towards trans man, he, him. And then now they're like, you know, five, 10 years into their medical, like chemical transition. They're like, oh, I'm going to be a he, they, or a they, them, or like their physical form has Mm. very much changed. But now they're sort of leaning back towards some other direction that's, um, you know, a they, them, who, if they were getting misgendered, would be a he, them, even though at birth they were a she, her. Right. And so then it's like, it's like this ping pong thing yeah there's totally many there's so many steps that could be taken along this journey and um it doesn't necessarily mean those people are detransitioning either it's just like it's the next evolution of their gender presentation and gender identity and exploration like yeah yeah. and it sounds like cliche like we all use this word oh like they're on a journey it's it's i mean i've heard the word journey so many times (laughs) now that i'm just like but it's that's literally what it is and you know it's it's i mean to add another cliche it's not about the destination it's about the journey so like you get on your journey and think it's like oh it's like i started as a he him and i'm gonna be she her but 
you know, along the way, you might be a she, they, or you might be, you know, yeah. it, it's, or you, you like, or you're, there may be all sorts of different all pronouns. All the neo-pronouns. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Some of uh, There's people... actually, there's a, uh, there's a trans comedian uh, that I've seen before, and they have a bit about, like, it's like, oh, it's like, I'm a she, her now, but I'm, I might actually be non-binary, but I'm just, like, literally just too lazy to come out again, <laughs> so I don't want to change it. <laughs> right? Yeah, I have some people who I admire very much who are parents and like literally they ask their children daily what their pronouns are, which mm -hmm. I think is so admirable because they're like if you're in an environment where you're allowed to explore your gender, like it is fluid. It's like any other part of our lives. It's a fluid course, piece. Like yeah. identity is something that is and like this is this is like confirmed like identity is a fluid thing it's moving as we move through life mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. i just i respect my friends who do that like so much because their kids yeah, are no, that's, so self-aware right of course yeah no that's awesome yeah and i'm just like i also thought it was like when we were talking about like you know bouncing back and forth between clothes so i actually so i purged most of my wardrobe but not all of it and i still have some men's polo shirts that i, nice. I kept because because i think they're cute Mm -hmm. and i i wore one to the office the other day i'm just like i don't care this is a men's shirt i'm gonna wear it to the office because that's it's got two cans on it and i think it's cute so <laughs> exactly. and it's just like i'm at the point of my transition now where it's like i feel fine wearing you know men's clothes sometimes you know it's like i don't i'm not gonna get misgendered like i'm still presenting very feminine um but you know i can wear a men's shirt and it doesn't have to like completely destroy my self-identity anymore so yeah yeah, that's and I think that's healthy, right? Like we all mm -hmm. like and I think that that was like one piece that I still hold from doing from all of the Jungian analysis that I did early in my 20s is like we do all have both aspects of ourselves, like whichever one is the strongest and coming out like can be how we identify, but that doesn't mean that there's like zero feminine me in me if I'm mm -hmm. expressing as masculine one day, right? Like it's just not what's coming forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let me switch topics towards the special topic we picked for today. We can we can we can keep you know peppering in the gender thoughts as we go. Always. So we're talking about magic, ministry, and disability today, and I'm wondering, Alara, if you would share a bit about how you experience magic. I experience magic in many, many ways. I also, I'm going to, I'm going to go to the definition that feels the truest for me first. So about a year or so ago, I don't know, my sense of time is absolutely ridiculous, but not oh. long ago, <laughs> I did a workshop on ritual with Starhawk, who is like, like the american witch like actually the american witch like she's been writing about witchcraft and politics like since the 60s and she is yeah. adorable and i i love her anyways she's also now on she's also now on instagram which makes me so happy <laughs> anyways um so i did a workshop with her and her definition of magic is one that resonates really strongly with me and that is simply any any act or intention meant to shift consciousness and that can be 
consciousness of our like our own consciousness or consciousness of people around us or like the greater collective consciousness right like consciousness is kind of like i mean we we are studying consciousness we don't have a definition of consciousness a working definition of consciousness but magic is that which shifts our ideas and our ways of thinking um so that's my that's like a definition that resonates with me and that's like the working definition that she was using within her ritual course because she was saying like like anything you do if you have intention behind it can be a ritual like you can heard the example that she gave was you can brush your teeth unconsciously but if you brush your teeth every day and think okay i'm like clearing out like negative speech every time you brush your teeth it's like it makes it a ritual and if you do it all the time it it eventually shifts your consciousness because you're being intentional about that action and when there's a physical action connected to that intention it helps solidify it and ground it yeah so um so start start sort of dipping into the the buddhist practice of gathas there then Mm -hmm. just turning this daily daily mundane daily things into a sacred like mindfulness practice yeah exactly yeah there's definitely connection and and so i experienced so that being the the definition i experienced magic in a lot of ways because i'm very intentional about how i am in the world um i feel like one of my greatest like purposes is to expand my consciousness and learn learn as much as humanly possible within one lifetime and so i definitely like i experience magic through learning i experience magic through creating i'm an artist and art is a huge expression of my magic in the world and a lot through ritual i do a lot of ritual in different modalities of ritual uh i've done quite a bit of like working with the celtic wheel of the year i myself have a ukrainian heritage as my background and there's so i've been learning in the last few years about slavic witchcraft which has blown my mind open because Mm -hmm. it's so rooted in my heritage and i didn't know it was a thing and i didn't understand how i didn't know it was a thing um uh so yeah so there's so many ways that i experience experience magic and i also feel like a big piece of it is about connection as well so like within unitarian universalism we have eight principles and one of them is respecting the interdependent web of life and that like web of life to me is also a big piece of where the magic is um and just like recognizing the connections between all things yeah uh, well, this next question I find really interesting uh, because uh, it's about dreams, and I, um, I, I love telling people about my dreams to anyone who will listen. Uh, there's not very many people who like are interested in listening to other people's dreams, but so far, and I really like to share my dreams with other people. But how would you say that dreaming has shaped you? So I was looking at the list and intentionally not talking about dreaming so i could focus it on this question um (laughs) so oh my goodness 
streaming wow especially within the last couple of years so i've been connecting deeply with i think i mentioned it it's actually where i'm going right after this interview i have a moon lodge a moon lodge that i go to that's led by a cree knowledge keeper and it's a group of dreamers which i've always been a big dreamer like i had some really major dreams as a child that have like shaped a lot of my experience um one of them was an angel visiting me and passing me a note that I dropped behind the bed and for like most of my life I've been like what was on that note and like looking for it (laughs) um the interesting thing about that one so I was like four when I had that dream and for like two or three days after I was like trying to get in behind the bed and I found a screwdriver and like tried to unscrew the vent because I was like absolutely certain that the note had fallen into the vent because I couldn't find it behind the bed and my mom very understandably got mad and was like it was just a dream like there's no note in the vent system (laughs) (laughs) so that like I feel like that shut down a lot of and again this like understandable Right. But I feel like that shut down a lot of my understanding of how real dreaming is. And within the last few years of like working more deeply with elders and knowledge keepers, I've been coming to understand the reality of my dreaming experiences. And that's like blown things so wide open for me in the last few years. Mm -hmm. And it's like a huge huge way that i experience magic is through dreaming Mm -hmm. um in like very obvious and tangible synchronistic ways like it's mind-boggling honestly i'm still kind of like oh okay this has opened up in the last couple of years cool (laughs) where do i go from here (laughs) oh and yeah what a what an accessible form of magic right yeah, yeah, exactly. And like even even coming people. at it from like uh from a scientific perspective, I mean, uh, dreams are very like well studied and they're, mm-hmm. you know, they're 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 very significant. I mean, there's they're very very important like in the in the fields of like, you know, psychology, neuropsychology and that sort of thing. So like it's not like purely, you know, like a like a magic thing. This is uh all regardless of like your feelings on magic or your feelings on science or anything like that like Mm -hmm. i think we can all agree that like dreams can be very important yeah Um, i totally agree and i actually recently read an article on there's an online magazine called psyche which is mm -hmm. fabulous and i heard me was reading an article on how in western society we become a very waking centric world Mm. and so I really feel like what you just said is important because I feel like I'm gonna like be my anti-capitalist self for a moment here. Oh, but I great, fabulous. There was no content warning on anti-capitalism. Um, I don't know if we need one. You're 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 in the right crowd <laughs> for that. So great, fabulous. So capitalism encourages us to burn out, basically. Mm-hmm. Like, who needs sleep? You can sleep when you're dead, kind of messaging, yeah. right? But like literally our psychic and mental health is directly connected to dreaming like 
like even from a scientific standpoint and the the interesting thing i found about that article was it was talking about how rarely sleep science incorporates dreaming which is like literally the bridge between being in waking and like deep rem sleep it's called mm -hmm. hypnogogic sleep and it's like the bridge between the waking and the sleeping so if you're not dreaming you're not actually getting deep enough sleep to be rested and well like mm -hmm. yeah so it's it's so interesting to me yeah it's definitely and it's a very like it's it's a it's not even just a human experience. Like there's studies now about how animals dream. Oh yeah. Well. I mean, anyone so, who owns a dog probably exactly. <laughs> knows when their dog is dreaming. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, precisely. For a long time, there was like inaccurate science that said animals sure. are, or humans are the only animals that dream. It's one of the things that like defines us as humans, but mm, that's yeah. been very disproven. Yeah, I'm always kind of skeptical of anything that like tries to separate humans from other animals. It's like, well, right? we're we're I mean, like, yes. yes, like we can build iPhones and stuff like that. Animals can't really do that, but um, I, like, there's not that much that separates us from you know other animals. So no, um, but uh, but yeah, no, I mean, like, like, and as I was saying before, like, I'm I'm very much coming at this from a perspective of like a scientist. Like, I'm very much like embedded in the natural world like I'm, I'm i'm not a spiritual person in any way and i'm still like yeah dreams are really important yeah um and uh you know just speaking of my personal experience like i've i've had dreams that have like for better or worse have completely changed my life i mean exactly I've, um i once like the worst depressive episode i've ever had was because of a dream um yeah that's real so yeah uh, now, for uh, for the, those of you who are listening in the future that are not watching, uh, our guest actually has a shirt on that says "Dream Big" on it. Uh, can bottoms... you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. So I have a shirt on. There's more on the bottom. It says "Dream Big, Then Let Your Heart Lead the Way," um, and it's a it's a picture of a palm with like the moon cycles and an eye in the center. It's from mm. one of my favorite clothing companies. I am not sponsored, but it's called Wholesome Culture. And it is a, I think it's entirely online and they donate proceeds to animal well-being and use sustainable fabrics. And awesome. very frequently have sales that make things super affordable. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. no, we can, we can, I'm sure we can put that in the show notes. Do it. Wholesome Culture. I'm grabbing it right now. Amazing. Yeah. Um, I'm always on the lookout for like cool shirts, especially shirts that I can purchase in Canada that don't cost me like $100 to ship here. Right? Yeah, real. <laughs> uh, okay, so one more thing. I'm actually super curious. So one of my major experiences within the last couple of years with working with other dreamers is the phenomenon of collective dreaming, which has like completely blown my mind. And I'm super mm. curious about how that could be explained scientifically if you have thoughts so when i say collective dreaming i mean like this is a, a like a bit of a mundane example but i don't mm -hmm. really want to go into the more mystical ones because they feel a little bit personal but like i dreamt that uh one of my friends texted me about needing birthday cake and i was like in this place where there were big trains that you could ride around and I texted her the next morning and I was like, ah, I just dreamt about you making a cake. 
and I didn't tell her the train part. I just said that. And she was like, mm. oh, yeah, yeah. Like, today's one of my kids' birthday, and we're, like, going to this play, pay, play place with all of these, like, big train sets because Ari loves trains. I was yeah. like, oh, okay, cool. So, like, that has happened more and more frequently and in deeper mm. and deeper ways since I've been working with my dreamer. So I'm really curious if there's, like, a materialist way of seeing that yeah so as someone who's so that's very much not my field i mean my field is <laughs> you know mathematics economics and statistics so Fair. Um, okay. but i can speculate uh Do so it. like my Do speculation it. is i mean that's just human pattern rec recognition i mean we are if if we're nothing else we are machines that recognize patterns so okay. um it's very that's a very useful tool for our survival uh, but it can um, it can lead to uh, situations like pareidolia, where you see patterns where right. there are none, uh, or they could just be you know happy coincidences. But I mean, I don't want to discount the possibility that you know you may have said something that you were unaware of that like subconsciously affected. So uh, this is something that like I so I love conspiracies. Uh, we talked about flat Earth a little bit in the green room, and uh, I another conspiracy I I love to 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 kind of do deep dives on is like the whole alien conspiracy and like love it. Um, it's interesting how like um, when people like have these alien abduction stories, they all kind of like have the same alien that mm -hmm. you know it's like the your your X Files like your little. The little man with the the big eyes and you know they all basically look the same so it's like oh some people might say it's like oh well that's that that must mean it's real that must mean that like they're all being abducted by these by these aliens uh but the actual scientific explanation is like people started sharing that story and then that subconsciously kind of fed into other people's like imagination um mm -hmm. so it just like it kind of like one person had the story and then they told other people and then it blew up in the media and then uh everyone's just like they they have these like they pass out or you know whatever whatever situation might be but uh because they have this like pop culture idea of what an alien looks like that's what their brain imagines right so i could go on a rant on that for a long time but we should probably move to our next question <laughs> fair fair <laughs> <laughs> what what an enriching conversation um so laura what and who have been some of your greatest teachers oh there's so many um so i literally just finished like three days ago my application for grad school and one of the big pieces that i talked about because it's a really extensive thank you a very extensive application including like letters of your goals like professional and personal goals um and one of the things that i talked about the most within that context was how i don't feel like like i feel like a goals are mutable they change all the time but I don't feel like I'm here purely because I put me here like I'm here because I've had so many teachers who have helped me get to this point in my life and those there's lots of humans who are those teachers my yoga instructor the minister I worked with for a long time a number of the elders in my life like I have lots of human teachers but then I believe my intention with this question was also that my one of my greatest teachers has been my disability. Um, mm. 
so I was born with chronic kidney failure and it's been like such a huge journey and it's kind of like what you said like a dream created this like big depression like my disability has taken me to lots of dark places but it's also helped me learn how to navigate those dark places Mm -hmm. and I feel like that is a skill right like it's a skill to understand and be able to navigate dark parts of our lives we all have dark parts of our lives absolutely yeah but like having to touch those spaces so early in life i feel like has has been a blessing in a lot of ways and definitely i would say that that um like that experience of having a disability has been one of the things that has brought me to where i am now um which i feel like i'm in a lot of places now and in this moment but like specifically on in the place where i am pursuing grad school and looking towards doing ministry and like doing all of the things in the world that i feel like i'm called to be doing um but yeah, so those teachers are, I feel like it's really important, and this is definitely, like, one of the main teachings in a lot of Indigenous communities, like, humility is so important, like, we wouldn't oh, be definitely. where we are without those that came before us and those that have taught us all that we know, right? Like, we're not islands, we, it's exactly what you were just talking about, like, we even unconsciously pick up information, so. Mm-hmm right like we're constant there's teachers around us always <laughs> yeah 100 percent. um so we wanted to ask alara a bit about what have you learned from your disability you mentioned a minute ago that one of your great teachers has been disability and i wonder if you wanted to spend a little more time talking about that with us sure so i feel like I so I got I mentioned the skill of being able to navigate difficult times. So that's a really a really big piece. Um but I also feel like having not had any other experience in life beyond my chronic illness, like I've always had this chronic illness. Um I feel like one of the greatest lessons that I have learned from it is the gratitude of each moment because there are so many difficult moments that when the moments are easeful or joyful or like genuinely heartfelt or connecting or magical moments Mm -hmm. um I just I have so much gratitude for them because I have so much experience with having to navigate darkness Mm -hmm. so those moments of and I mean I also have a lot of experience of ridiculous amounts of blessing as well but I also feel like I can see things as blessings that maybe are not as accessible as being considered blessings to people who haven't had to navigate darkness as much yeah um so that's been really I feel like that's been my greatest lesson and then the other one is simply ridiculous levels of perseverance and gumption like (laughs) just like 
over-the-top determination levels has also been a very big lesson. It's like knowing that, okay, I'm navigating a dark time, but that's not a landing place. It's just something to navigate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's still a lesson I'm I'm struggling to learn because, uh, yeah, it's it can be tough sometimes. Like when it, you're, yeah, when when life deals you a bunch of L's, it's hard to take the, the W's sometimes, and it's uh, uh, as yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like so, L's I, and I W's. Have so that brain rot that uh, it affects how I talk now. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> But yeah, no, it's, that's, it's, you know, um, and that's, that's been kind of part of my therapy is like, you know, just accepting the the good times. Um, and it's, and yeah, and you're right. Like when you, when you deal with so much darkness and you deal with uh, so much adversity, it really teaches you to, to kind of how to persevere and how to kind of, um, get through those times. And I think that's, that's, Kind of what a lot of folks that don't struggle with disability or don't deal with like chronic illness or or even just mental illness, they don't kind of mm-hmm. appreciate. Um, totally. Yeah. So um, I had another point I wanted to bring up and now. Sure. I can't remember what it was. No. <laughs> it's all good. Um, we'll, we'll come back to it. it. Like, I don't know. My, my, my brain sometimes like just thinks of things in, in orders that don't make sense. So we will come back to it. Uh, but uh, we did another question. So uh, just circling back to something we were talking about earlier. Uh, why do you feel you were called to a path of ministry? I feel like it's a lot about what I was just talking about, like that ability to understand. And I think this is a song title, but it's apt. I think it's by Sarah McLaughlin. Anyways, I understand the beauty of ordinary miracles. Mm. um, And I feel like that is something that can be very helpful in people's lives is the awareness of ordinary miracles and i also really feel called to it because and i i to be clear i very specifically feel called towards a unitarian universalist ministry and unitarian universalism is a very multi-faith community and so a big piece of that calling for me is about pardon me interfaith work and building bridges between people. I think there's like way more divisiveness than we need in this world. And um, so for me, a path of ministry is really about a path of creating connections with and for people and helping build intimate community circles to, I don't wanna use the word combat, but like to remedy, to remedy a lot of the isolation and loneliness that exists mm-hmm. in this society, especially post-pandemic. Oh, absolutely. Right? Like, we've gone through a lot of collective trauma, and I feel like there's a big there's a big hole, but it's a space to be filled with something. And I feel like bringing people together and building bridges is a big piece of that calling. Yeah. Um. Laura, I don't know how much of my background you know about, but I actually, um, I went to one of the most like liberal leftist seminaries I could find 
Mm-hmm. Uh, across the street from Stark King School for, for the Ministry, which is the UU, one of the UU yeah. seminaries. So I have yeah. friends who were in that school doing that work while I was in my program, which was a multi-denominational Christian program. Um, I then converted to paganism halfway through my program. Love it. Love it. Instead of getting a master's in divinity, I swapped it to a master's in theological studies, so I didn't have to do a midler or my third year of school. And now I have a master's degree uh, that I'm totally not using. <laughs> really hard to figure out how to make make a living um, as like some sort of pagan chaplain person. Because um, yeah. I wanted to do chaplaincy. I didn't want to yeah. do, you know, every Sunday get up at a thing and talk to people situation. Yeah. Um, and so I wanted to do chaplaincy. And so like, I feel like I have found some of the ways to bring some of those like values or the pieces that felt important to me, especially about building community and like creating places that are meaningful to people um, through the work that we do on Twitch and on Discord. And, you know, not that we're a cult at all, because we're not, but just, just a community space where people can share resources and like, you know, build friendships and, you know, navigate life together. And there's something... Yeah. It's so like powerfully disability forward about having it be an online community because totally you know you don't have to get out of bed and go to the thing like you can do it from your house um and so uh, that's assuming you have the technology to access it and you have an internet connection which i know not everyone does um yeah so i will acknowledge those limitations right there yeah. but um yeah there's something really um, that it's felt very meaningful to me to be doing those pieces. And so, um, yeah, yeah that's my, no, that's my ministry, if you will. Like <laughs> That's really cool. No, totally. And and I, I've been kind of wrestling with that in the last couple of years because I did children's and youth ministry within the church for like a decade. And then in the going Universalist yeah, church. with, yeah, within the Unitarian Universalist Church, one of the congregations here. And then when I resigned to go back to school, I was like, what am I doing with my ministry? Like, I'm a student now, but like, where's my, like, I, I felt like, I felt like I had to leave ministry to become a minister is what I felt like. Um, and I've like, I've, I feel like I've worked with that quite a bit. And just like understanding that my life is a ministry, right? Like, being interviewed for a podcast in a way that might lighten up somebody's day even one percent is a piece of my ministry like the art that I do is my ministry and so just like coming to terms with that but yeah like I think I've, there's so many ways of doing min- of doing and being a minister in the world and yeah I'm actually getting my MTS in with a specialization in spiritual care to do chaplaincy I'm hoping to do hospital chaplaincy specifically actually officiated a wedding yesterday nice i did one a couple of weeks ago i love officiating weddings (laughs) it is my favorite part was doing a grounding meditation my eyes were closed the whole time but i got to see the video the raw video of the of the the event yesterday and um there's actually more people that participated than i thought did you know the sort of the, the parents and the whoever that are like, I don't know about this pagan stuff. <laughs> 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 I'll put a hand that direction. We're all doing it. So I'll, I'll, I'll join in. 
<laughs> I love it. That's amazing. I, I love that, that ministry, could, the definition of ministry can be more extensive, you know, like yeah. supporting people in community and making meaning of their lives. Is exactly. Like, yeah. yeah, exactly. And I feel like that is a very, like, the definition of ministry within Unitarian Universalism is super broad, right? Like, mm. so I think that's one of the things that's helped me come to terms with not being on the ground for a few years. Yeah. Um, who inspires you? Oh, my goodness. So many people. Um, the person, oh, while we were on break. I just got a reference letter for grad school from one of the people who inspires me a lot, who is the minister who I worked with for 10 years, uh, Reverend Ann Barker. It's a shout out. Um, uh, there's so many people, though, who inspires me. The elders in my life, the children who I've worked with, like, I'm so inspired by children and, like, my friends who are parents and seeing how much, like, honestly, how much trauma that our generation has worked with in order to parent well, like, wow. <laughs> like, that is so inspiring to me to see, par like, healthy parenting happening. Um, oh, I just feel like it's an endless list. Adrienne Marie Brown? author of Emergent Strategy and holding and like editor and co-author of Holding Change inspires me hugely. The work that she's brought forward into the world with Emergent Strategy is so beautiful and so necessary. It's like basically like emergent facilitation um, within like lessons from nature, like beautiful book. If you haven't read it, super recommend. That would be another one for the show notes. Um, <laughs> Emergent Strategy by Adrienne Marie Brown. Um, yeah, I honestly feel like it's an endless list because everybody, like everybody I come into contact with inspires me a little bit because we all are always learning from each other and building these new connections. Like this podcast inspires me, doing this work inspires me. Yeah. Like, honestly, right? Like it's it's bringing... A community into the world in a world where we are where there's so much like divisive media and in the middle of so many wars going on like community building is probably one of the most inspiring things there is like yeah mm -hmm. i think that honestly kind of covers it yeah. <laughs> well, yeah it's not a short list to be sure but that's a good thing <laughs> yeah I don't um, remember what I had in mind with that question. <laughs> it was a while ago now, but I'm glad Anne um, got no. a shout out. <laughs> <laughs> now, in addition to uh, building community, how do you participate in building justice and shifting systems? So I'm going to go back to emergent strategy. Um, so emergent strategy has different principles. The book emergent strategy adrian murray brown making sure that's a real <laughs> real clear reference um but one of the pieces that really matters to me from from that is the principle of small is all and that's the idea and it's 
it's combined. There's a couple. So there's small is all, and then there's mile deep, inch, inch wide. So rather than trying to go for as many numbers as possible, like going into depth within the relationships that are there and like mm-hmm. using that as an organizing principle, um, I think is really important because again, capitalism, mm, capitalism, all of the numbers, like the number of followers is the thing that matters the most. That is how you get paid, which is understandable. We need money in this world, but mm-hmm. like, but like really what matters is building the community and having those deeper relationships coming forward. It's not about like the number of people in a circle. It's about how strong that circle is. Yeah. It's quality over quantity. Yeah, exactly. So I feel like, I feel like going deep into the relationships that I'm in is actually one of the ways that I participate in building justice and shifting systems the most because uh it's antithetical to capitalism (laughs) actually though and and then there's like very many on the ground ways that i also participate in building justice and shifting systems i volunteer with the city of edmonton um disability advisory council um i do a couple of different small group ministry facilitations through our church I've worked with youth. I've done guerrilla art is another way that I like to build justice. Just like simple things. Like one year I organized it so that our youth made fleece scarves and wrote love notes and then like tied them along the bridge leading up to the youth emergency shelter here in Edmonton. So like projects like that. So the whole bridge was full of scarves and notes. Um. But I just feel like, I feel like there's so many crucial ways of shifting systems that happen on a smaller scale. And like, I feel like, like resisting oppressive systems doesn't always have to be a big act. Like, I feel like little acts matter when it comes to resisting oppression. Oh, absolutely. Right? Like, um... So I do do lots of these, like, in the world ways of servicing in order to build justice, but I really feel like the things that matter the most are, like, even the inner dialogue shifting and, like, treating each other with kindness and compassion and care. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. those are... Those are the things that shift systems the most, I think, is when yeah, we absolutely. see and like, each that's, other. That's something that I, you know, I very much resonate with. It's, um, I mean, we all fight in our own way and we all have different ways and different capacities to, to fight the, our oppressive systems. Uh, yeah. I remember having a conversation with a, um, a disabled person that I follow and uh, they felt bad that they couldn't participate in the most recent uh, protests because of their disability. And I was reassuring them. It's like, hey, we all fight in our own ways and they're all valid. So even though you can't be out there, you know, boots in the ground, like, you know, yelling at the the transphobes, um, (laughs) it's just living your life and being happy. That that is a way of of fighting back. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's an Instagram page that I follow called the Nap Ministry. And it's this like incredible black 
feminist minister who's like rest is revolutionary like and again it's like back to that dreaming like capitalism wants us to burn out so if we're taking care mm -hmm. of ourselves and loving each other like that is a resistance mm -hmm. um now is there anything that we missed about magic ministry disability that you'd like to make sure you say i don't actually know if there is i feel like i feel like i covered we covered a lot of ground um I guess maybe I would say that I guess I did I missed saying that part of my ministry is helping us remember that magic is in the world. That's like a piece of the ministry going forward. Um just in like in terms of that ability to shift consciousness and that ability to make connection and yeah, and that ability to love each other and ourselves. I feel like all of that is magic, and I feel like mm -hmm. it's easy to forget. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so we have uh, one question that's, uh, this is actually my favorite question uh, that we asked our guests, because um, just in the current, uh, just in the current climates, um, a lot of kind of, a lot of our experiences are kind of framed in, um, you know, in tragedy or, you know, negativity. Um, but I think it's far more important that we share our joy. Um, so can you share an experience with us that you've had with gender euphoria? Wearing a pink bow tie. I love it. <laughs> yep. That is definitely up there. And also this ridiculously beautiful pair of shoes that I bought that were a gift from my mom recently that are like super classy masculine, but with like floral and pink material. Mm, great. Love it so much. Super mm. euphoric. It's got a lot of gender energy. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, is there anything you'd like to make sure that folks know about your perspective on gender and non-binary trans and or gender diverse issues? really feel like the most important piece is to recognize that it's fluid and that our identities are fluid pieces of who we are like life is constantly changing and evolving and so we are also constantly changing and evolving and I feel like that fluidity is just crucial it's like a crucial piece of awareness to understand that that beings are not stagnant things that don't change over time. Like we all change over time. It's just mm -hmm. the way of things. Yeah. All right. So, uh... all right. So normally this is where we chime in with, uh... <laughs> normally this is where we chime in with uh, questions from our chat, but because we're not streaming live right now, we right. don't have any chat questions. Uh, so, uh, that's too bad. All right. So, Elara Stefaniuk Godet is a non binary disabled artist with big dreams. They are working, loving, creating, learning, and creating to make their corner of the world a better place. You can find them at patreon.com forward slash Elara11 and also Elara33 on Instagram. Here is this week's Clatter query that you, our audience, can answer on our social media platforms. What is your most magical moment? I love that. Everyone, next Monday, November 6th, is Job Action Day. So we are having a very special genderful episode featuring a panel discussion of various trans folks employed at uh, large companies. I, I've noticed that so many of us gender splendor beings 
tend to have uh, lots of artsy jobs that don't pay a lot. <laughs> <laughs> like almost all of my trans friends are in that category. And so I was like, okay. But like some of us have figured out how to have good jobs with like decent income and like great health benefits because at least in the United States where I live, uh, we don't have universal health care and it's real hard to get your gender affirming care um, medically. So um, so we want to spend some time kind of looking at and discussing with some like gender diverse people who've kind of figured that out. How did they get there? So if there's anyone in our community who's like, I want that too, then they can learn a bit more about how to get from where we all are today to that point. Um, so that is our special panel discussion for November 6th. Um, it will be live streamed and then also will be a genderful episode later. Um, and then on Monday, November 13th, uh, our genderful guest will be Rafi Marhaba, a them pronouns, and we are discussing art, activism, and spirituality. Um, I believe Rafi may also be, um, yeah, I think Rafi is going to have some potentially helpful things to share about some current events that we've been experiencing. Uh, yes. I'm looking forward to that conversation. Um, anyways, uh, Jennifer would like to thank all of our supporters on Patreon, including our newest supporter, Miranda Katita. Miranda, good to meet you. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm investing into our own show. So. <laughs> I mean, so I'm actually going to be one of the panelists uh, in next week's pod because, uh, you know, I'm, I work for the government of Canada. So, uh, and I've recently returned to work after being off on disability leave for uh, a couple of years. So uh, I have all this new disposable income. So, uh, you know, I like to pay it forward and spread the love and, uh, you know, uh, pay back to all the people that have made my life better. So, yeah. <laughs> well, we're very grateful for your support. I'm now going to read the rest of our list of wonderful supporters. Um, Holly Blash, Winter Vesper, Wildness Gamer, Jasmine Baker Rojas. Sandra Mickelborg, Yaisio, Ray of Swords, Terry Keller, Mirami, Mahessian, and Trans Capybara. Thank you everyone for being here and enjoying the show. I know the editing is a bit different than usual, um, but we have enjoyed having you here and we'll see you next time. Bye. Jennifer would like to thank our guests for being on this podcast. If you'd like to catch us live, join us on Mondays on twitch.tv forward slash gendermeowster. Show notes will appear in the edited versions of the show on Fridays on both YouTube and podcasting platforms. If you have a question you'd like the host to answer or are gender diverse and would like to request an interview, please send an email to genderfulpodcast at gmail.com or sign up via the website at genderfulpodcast.com. As a gender diverse community, the Clouder wants to assure our listeners that we are prepared to moderate our spaces. We will get positive and negative feedback on these shows and topics. And we have a moderation team on our channels, socials, and Discord server ready to deal with this. Please join our Discord server at discord.gg forward slash meowster to meet the community and get a regular digest of solidarity resources. You can also support us with subscriptions on Patreon, following and reviewing us on your favorite podcasting platform, or engaging with our posts and content on social media at genderfulpod and at gendermeowster. If you take a few minutes to rate the show, we will post any five-star reviews on our socials, so get creative. Mention a special interest of your own, a project you're working on, or even say hi to your comfort person in your review. What power? This show is made possible by volunteers, tips, and subscriptions. Shout out to the folks helping us coordinate guests, edit the podcast, moderate the live chat, and post on our socials. Here's our artist credit. 
Jennerful is hosted by Miranda Katita and Jenner Meowster. Jennerful's pre-show is wrangled by Juice Tux. Jennerful's live stream is produced by Mirami. Jennerful is edited and mixed by Trans Griffin and Free Range Megs. Jennerful's promos and thumbnail graphic are designed by Trans Griffin. Jennerful's social media is managed by Keenzy. Jennerful's theme song is called Hope by Free Range Megs, also known as Soma. The current Gender Master logo was designed by Siptopia. Genderful is the intellectual property of Gender Master. All rights reserved. Trans, Trans rights, rights are human rights. rights. That's right. right.